The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our New Testament reading this morning comes to us from James chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and one judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor. God, we thank you for your word. This week, a Snickers bar showed me the state of my soul. The Snickers bar showed me the state of my soul. One afternoon, this week, uh, my stomach, it was commanding me to fill it with something, anything. And so at the offices, I I ran over to the vending machines and I just scanned the options. And as I did, I heard the marketing whisper in my ears, packed with peanuts. Snickers really satisfies. I believed. And I sat in my office, ripping open the wrapper, diving into the caramely, chocolate nougat goodness, nodding my head. The advertising armies, they were right. This was just what I needed. It felt so good to experience the endorphins of pleasure, of satisfaction, of filling my empty belly. Snickers really satisfies. When out of nowhere... I'm not making this up. Out of nowhere, as I'm sitting there, an even quieter whisper came into my head saying something like this. Chad, do you enjoy the Lord as much as you enjoy 
a Snickers bar. And tears actually began to fill my eyes because I knew the second whisper was much truer than the first. My soul, our souls, our bottomless, hungry souls are constantly searching for something or someone to satisfy. Some pursuit, not just packed with peanuts, but packed with pleasure to provide for us satisfaction. Some human or some hobby or some hit to help us find that sense of happy. I eat a Snickers, but it's not enough. I want another. And before long, I'm 500 pounds and strangely still wanting more to satisfy me. And it doesn't. The thing about satisfaction is this, friends. Unless what you're seeking to find satisfaction is in endless supply, your bottomless soul will never be satisfied. I'm going to say that again. Unless what you're seeking to find satisfaction is in endless supply, then your bottomless soul will never be satisfied. James, the author of this letter, is writing to an audience that is looking for a source of satisfaction. They're looking for their Snickers bar. They don't belong where they are, these Jewish Christians. They're on the fringe. They've been cast out from their hometowns and their homelands. They're also poor. They don't have any money, and they're surrounded by all of these, what James describes as gold-fingered rich. There's all this wealth around them, and they have nothing. And so if you can with me, just imagine them being, imagine this audience being on a plane for a second. Most of you have flown on an airplane. Imagine them, this audience that James is talking to, sitting in the far back of the plane where you can't recline your seat. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? It's like fourth class of a plane where the engine is really loud and you're way in the back and it actually seems hotter back there. Okay? They're next to the bathrooms too. And, ooh, and they're looking longingly up the aisle at the first class champagne that's being served up there. If you've ever been cooped up in that kind of cabin space, right, where the babies, let's say, are shrieking, babies are screaming and crying, the bathrooms are reeking back there, people's feet are starting to stink back there, what happens? It becomes a war zone where the fight for a sense of some kind of satisfaction or pleasure becomes all the more important. I must get up there to that first class. Get me out of here. And James, here's what's happening in this congregation. They're all going, get me out of here and over there. Verse 1, he says, there's wars and battles. There's, these, there's this arguing that's going on between you in the back row. Verse 2 says, there's actually murders going on. Some commentators believe this church is literally murdering people. That's how bad it is. Fist fights are happening at least with like the flight attendants or the pastors. 
But the problem is, as they're trying to claw their way out of the fourth class up the aisle, there's still someone more ahead of them or something more ahead of them. They're never satisfied. Why? Because what they're looking for has limits. They finally get up and there's only four seats in the first row. So they have to claw to who gets the first seat, who gets the second, who gets the third, the fourth seat. That's all that's left, four seats. What's the solution to this clawing and this fighting and this warring that's going on? Something, someone that is without end and without, without limits. The Lord alone is the solution. The Lord, friends, is the only one who can satisfy a bottomless soul. And so we must humble ourselves even in the fourth class row, under His full command. Let's say that one more time. The Lord, who is in endless supply, is the only one who can satisfy our bottomless souls. And so we must humble ourselves under His full command. What does being satisfied in God look like, even as He's placed you in the back row? James chapter 4 encourages us in faith to believe three things, friends. Three things. First, it is enough to be a friend of the faithful Father. Second, it is enough to be a soldier of the servant king. And third, it is enough to be a lawyer of the loving lawgiver. First, it's enough to be a friend of the faithful father. Look with me at verses 1 to 5 of this passage. James, in verse 1, asks the question about what he's heard going on among the scattered congregations. He says, what causes wars and fights among you? Why are you all going after each other, do you think? He's asking them. What are all these church wars about? And he says, I'll tell you what it is. It's because you're not satisfied with your relationship to God. He says, it's your passions that are at war within you. Passions, in this verse, is the Greek hedone. Okay, it's our word. It's not a word we use very often, but it's our word for hedonism. It's how we operate as a culture. Hedonism is basically pleasure first. Find pleasure in anything and everything. Pleasure comes first. That's what hedonism is. And that's what we operate as an American culture. We operate under the law of hedonism. Pleasure first. He says, that's the problem. This pleasure, hedonism, pleasure first thing, it's the feeling that accompanies an unsatisfied soul. Okay? So if I desire, it's the desire, hedone would be the desire that accompanies hunger. When I'm hungry, what do I want? I want a juicy steak. When I'm thirsty, what do I want? I want a Culver shake. Okay? When I'm bored, what do I want? I want a trip to the lake. When my hormones are flying, kids, I need a piece of that cute guy or cute girl's cake. Like, that's what goes on. That's hedone. It's the desire's that accompany an unsatisfied state. And verse 2 tells us the church of James's day, that these are not the good old days of the church back then, this in the 40 AD. These are not good old days, because people are getting killed in the church. 
People are getting screamed at and beaten up in the back row. And even God is getting played as people are either ignoring Him altogether, not praying to Him, or they're using Him as they're praying for things that they want that God can give them, that verse 3 says, so they can spend on their latest pursuit of pleasure. Lord, grant me money so I can buy that lake home. And James gets their attention in verse 4 by calling them an adulterous people. He calls them whores. He says, in essence, you are changing sides in this war, and it's a fatal error. You who have been named by Christ as a friend of the Father, the Father who made everything that is, and all your warlike actions are saying He's not enough for you. You still want more. You want a substitute source of satisfaction. And he contrasts in verse 4 their human jealousy of what's not theirs. They want the bigger, the better, with God's jealousy, which is a rightful jealousy. He yearns to have them back. The people are wanting what has not been given to them, but God is wanting what is rightfully His. Them. I gave you breath. I gave you spirit. I gave you friendship. I yearn for you as you go out and drink from these broken cisterns. These empty places. Why do you keep going out to something that's not going to satisfy you? It's the state of our human existence and our sinful soul. To always want to go after something more than what we have to be satisfied in. Annie Dillard describes an, an intriguing experiment which shows a male, male butterfly consistently will ignore a living female butterfly of his own species in favor of a painted cardboard one, if the cardboard one is big. He will favor the bigger cardboard one over the actual living butterfly. Even if the cardboard one is bigger than him, Bigger than any female butterfly could ever be, the male butterfly jumps to a piece of cardboard. And nearby, the real, living, female butterfly opens and closes her wings, but in vain, because that male butterfly is going for a piece of cardboard. Friendship with God, friends, means you have relationship to the source of everything. God considers you His beloved. Who could ask for any other place to be? Why are we so discontent when, friends, we are friends with the foreman of the universe? Psalm 84.10 describes this with a contrast. It says this, the psalmist says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. It's trading the cardboard. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. I would rather be sweeping the floors and cleaning the toilets in the house of my God than dwell in these huge tents of wickedness. Friends, where are you back road right now? Where are you feeling as if you're being sidelined, forgotten, underused, or underappreciated? Is it not enough to be friends with the king of every king, the president of every president, the prime minister of every prime minister? That's what you have. Are you jealous of those who have more than you maybe in their bank? 
Is it not enough to be friends with the CEO who owns every precious metal and diamond, the Lord himself? You may wish your house had four times the square footage. Is it not enough to be friends with the one who owns every single 126 billion acres of the earth? That's what you have. The world at war believes every man is out for himself. That we're all in competition for that front row seat to have more to be satisfied. But when we have friendship with the Father, we need go no further than Him. Well, what happens? We become enemies of God, James says, because we believe there's more to it than God. Friends, I think it's really important as you go about living in a world of marketing that says Snickers will satisfy, that says you need more to be satisfied. What I would encourage you to do in application is with everything that you have, whether you're holding a cup of coffee in your hand or you're holding your baby in your hand, is just to thank your friend God for this. Thank Him for what you do have that He's given you. Find contentment and satisfaction in the friendship from the source of heaven who gave you everything that you have. Thank Him for being the source of all good things that are in front of you. It is enough to be a friend of the faithful Father. It's enough. And it is enough to be a soldier of the servant king. Verses 6 to 10. James assures those of us who have been convicted by our Snickers bar, that when we see our sin, when we see that, you know, maybe I've been living as if God isn't sufficient, isn't enough. In verse 6, he says, you know what, don't, don't be discouraged. There's more grace. There's more grace that the Lord's willing to give you. The solution to our pecking order problem and trying to get up to that front row, our pursuit of pleasure for pleasure's sake, what's the solution? It's this, he says. Enlist yourselves in the servant king's army. The servant king, Jesus, who being in the very nature God, he had the front row. Okay, friends? He was sitting in the front row. He was fully satisfied too. He didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grabbed onto. No. He wasn't, equality with God, being God, wasn't a thing he lusted after like we do. But instead, he made himself nothing. He got behind the back row. And didn't consider that equality, but made himself nothing and served us. That's the king we serve. God opposes the proud who want to grasp at being God. And he gives grace to the humble, those who are content just forgetting about themselves. And serving him instead. If you've ever served, I don't know how many of you have served in the military or any kind of situation where there's a chain of command environment, you know how important mottos are to the culture, particularly in wartime. One of those mottos you might hear in the military is service before self or mission over me. 
And James goes on in verses 6 to 8 to list motto after motto in these verses to equip the army of servant Jesus, the church. Look at verses 6 to 8 and just hear me paraphrase, give loose paraphrases of some of these military mottos he's given. He's saying, church, where the proud are resisted and the poor are enlisted. Church, those under God's command so against the devil can stand. Church, we follow his lead because he was willing to bleed. These are our marching orders. And thankfully, for those who've gone AWOL, who've been traitors, who have failed to follow King Jesus on his path of humility, there's more grace for you. As James calls this broken church to repent, he says, cleanse your hands, sinners and traitors. Purify your hearts, those who are double-minded, those who are trying to stay friends with the world and still serve God. He calls them to repentance, to lament, to be sad, to wail, to grieve over your sin of thinking you could have any more than God. You can be satisfied in God knowing that as deep and bottomless as you think your sin is, there is a God whose grace is deeper and deeper still. Through a servant Jesus who humbly, without a what's in it for me posture, went to the lowest pit of a punishing hell on the cross to raise dead and fallen traitors back to life. The final marching order in verse 10 calls us to follow in the way of our commander. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. That verb humble means to reduce yourself in rank. Reduce yourself in rank. Forget yourself and let Him be the only one able and willing to promote you, to raise you up, but not you raising yourself up. Him being the one to raise you up. What you can do is reduce your rank. This is really important, particularly for the religious people who are listening to me this morning, who believe they'll be promoted by God for their good behavior or their good works. Your good works are actually doing the reverse. They disqualify you. If you believe that your righteousness could ever be more than Christ's, you're trying to find satisfaction in what you can do and not in what He has done. So repent. The marine says of themselves, the few, the proud. The Christian says of Christ, the only, the lowly. Friends, in, this, in the future, Scripture promises every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, everyone will eventually get low that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Lord, the Master, the Commander. That's going to happen. All of creation will one day get low. But we have a decision we can make now. We can reduce our rank now. We can humble ourselves under the satisfaction God receives from Jesus' payment for our sin on the cross. We can just humble ourselves now knowing we can't do this, only He can. Or we can be humiliated later when under the crushing weight of having to pay for our own sin, for all the wrong we've done, we will say, I have no hope. What the servant king has done is enough.
It's sufficient. It's satisfying. It's so good. Get low. Reduce your rank. Get behind the cross and the servant who loved you, who went to the lowest place, went to the back of the plane in his humility. That as he is raised up, so too will you be raised up. Get low behind the servant king. This is why James in verses 11 to 12 at the end argues how it is enough that the friend of the Father God, a faithful God, and the soldier of a servant king be also a lawyer of the loving lawgiver. What's a lawyer? Someone who practices law. Who does law. And what is the law of God summarized? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law. And a lawyer is one who practices that law. A lawyer finds great satisfaction in keeping this law, not because it earns him a place with God, not because it qualifies him as a soldier. No, Jesus did all of that. But because law-keeping, loving God and loving neighbor, is a result of being made a friend and being called a soldier. I keep the law of love now out of a loving response to God's keeping of the law. Because I've broken the law, and I've been shown mercy by a loving Father. I keep the law now because He's kept the law for me, and as I live under His authority, He gives me His Spirit, the power, the ability to do the same. Verses 11 to 12 illustrate what happens when we begin defending ourselves instead of the Lord Jesus defending us. We become lawmakers, not lawyers, not law practicers. What happens? Verses 11 to 12. What's going on? Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. When we're doing that, we are sitting ourselves in the place where only the lawmaker and the judge Jesus deserves to sit. When we talk about our neighbor badly, we are putting ourselves above the law of love. When we judge someone as less than us, we are putting ourselves above the law of love that was given to us. Jesus is the perfect one, verse 12 says, to save humble lawbreakers. Jesus is the only one to save, and Jesus is the only one able to judge or destroy prideful lawbreakers. If we're humbly satisfied in Christ, practicing the law means elevating someone else at the cost of yourself. Practicing the law, being satisfied as a lawyer of the loving lawgiver, means loving someone as you yourself has been loved, not tearing them down, loving them up, being a friend of sinners, being a foot soldier of the Savior. The Spirit has revealed to you your sin and graciously given you a Savior, and He calls you to love those close to you, your neighbor, in the same Spirit-led manner. I was an enemy sinner too, but God made me a friend. I was a prideful commander of my own life, but Jesus served this enemy of him by laying down his life. 
This is gospel humility, friends. This is gospel glory. I want to close with a picture I shared with some of you this week at our kingdom study that I was given in reflecting on this war between humility and pride. I was laying on a hammock on my day off camping with my son. And as he slept in the tent in the early morning as the sun was rising, I looked up at all of the glorious green trees surrounding me, which in Wisconsin is a rare thing, right? Green trees, we get like three or four months of it. We just have to soak it in. And I was just soaking it in all these trees and watching as the wind was blowing, all these millions of leaves just waving and saluting the the rising sun that was coming, that was shining above them. It was so beautiful. And it struck me in that moment, in that moment, how ridiculous self-seeking and self-satisfaction is. And I thought to myself, Self-seeking, everything James is talking about, fighting for that first row. It would be like me focusing all my efforts and my eyes on one leaf, a single leaf. If I lived my life wanting to be the most important, noteworthy, famous single leaf in this whole forest, that's what we're doing when we attempt to be satisfied with ourselves, We miss the glory of an entire picture, of an entire forestry of God's redemption when we focus on one single leaf. Being a faithful follower of the master means being completely satisfied with being one leaf, one little leaf among millions that are bowing to the rising sun. A son who was so satisfied with his relationship with his father that he did whatever his father asked of him, no matter what. A son who was so satisfied with serving in his father's army that he allowed himself to be sacrificed for the sake of a greater purpose. A son who was so interested in practicing the law of love that he lowered himself to the point of death so that his neighbor could be raised up with him to life. Saints, we are called to be a collection of leaves, a forest of trees, whose purpose is to enjoy the sun who shines upon us with resurrection, life, and light. What is the chief end of you, church? It's not to get to the front row. It's to glorify God by enjoying what He's given you forever. There is no limit, there's no end to what God has given you. So let your soul, your bottomless soul, bask in the friendship and the humility and the love that is found in the only satisfying person of Jesus Christ. Packed with perfection, Jesus alone satisfies. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Thank you for your word and your work in us. I pray that you would help us to be a people who see that what we have in you is all we could ever want or need. Help us to be willing to reduce our rank, to be a soldier of the king, who served us, to be a lawyer of the law of love, to practice love with those around us instead 
of becoming the law ourselves and deciding what we think is right is right. We pray, Father, that you would continue to humble us and give us hearts of submission to want what you want and to do what you do to the point of death, even death on a cross. We pray this all in Christ's perfect name. Amen.